Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 is where we'll begin. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. If you remember from last week, just a, a kind of a quick catch up. David in 1 Samuel chapter 30 was at a very, very dark point in his life and, and he had forgotten everything that truly mattered and so he encouraged himself in the Lord through politics and health and fears and sin. It had brought David really, really low. And after he had done everything that he could possibly do he and, and nothing was working, uh, lost his friends, lost his family, lost, lost his identity. Everything was gone. He, he remembered and he encouraged himself in the Lord. Uh, he, he called for a trusted friend that had been through everything with him, the priest. And they called upon the Lord and they sought the word of the Lord. And, uh, and that's what we were reminded of last week. That in the days of depletion and when you don't think it can get worse, boy... But uh, when we are depleted and our mouths are gaped open, uh, just going to, you know, I, I, try to, I try to speak in general terms so that everybody will kind of always know, you know, fill in their own story uh, when, I, when I preach. But, uh, but I'm going to tell you, this, this week for me was, was quite a blow. Uh, and I'm talking about nationally and uh, the things that we were forced to watch on TV. And I don't typically talk a lot about politics and uh, I, don't, I don't like to talk about social issues much simply be- not because I don't have opinions because obviously I, I do. Well, I shouldn't say obviously but I certainly do. Uh, I just feel like if we were informed by the Holy Spirit what our, what our decisions should be, if we were growing and rooted and grounded in Christ, we wouldn't have to talk about issues. We'd be able to talk about our identity in Christ and, and he would fix most of that stuff for us uh, at least where he, where he speaks clearly. So I say all of that just to simply say to this, I feel, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday evening as I was kind of getting caught up on the news, I just sat in my chair. I couldn't have realized I was just weeping uh, for, for what I was seeing. Honestly, it was like I was watching a movie. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and if I wasn't, if I was much, much younger, it was almost like playing a video game. Uh, and I thought, this, this, can't be, this can't be what it's coming to. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't filled with hope, uh, even about the, the future. Surely we've learned our lesson. I'll be honest with you, I don't think we've learned our lesson. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to be a naysayer, but that's, that's, just, that's where my heart is being prompted, is I think the Lord is still teaching us some super valuable lessons. And uh, I know that, that things just seem to keep spiraling out of control, and, uh, and we're left to, to say, how do we get our old life back? And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that's the life God wants for us to have back. Uh, I, think there's, I think there's a new thing coming. I think it's fresh. I think it's real. I think that it's life-changing. I think it's transformative. And, uh, and I think at the end of the thing, there's going to be a lot of attrition that comes with the shaking. But what's going to be left is going to be a kingdom that can't come except by any other way. And so uh, when we, when we t- look to, to David, who later talks about the Word of God quite a bit in his words, this is long before he writes them, but he says that, that the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? He, these are things that you have to learn, that, that what I need to do right now, the Word of God gives me my stability for the moment. But when I look at the path that I'm going to walk, it's God's light that shines out there, his word that shows me the direction that I ought to be walking. And so whether my, my, my fear is here or my fear is there, God's word is the thing that stabilizes us and gives us traction. And so over and over we find the, the value of God's word. David had forgotten God's word. He called the prophet. The prophet gave him God's word. God spoke to David. It shored him up. Over and over we see the word of God coming to men and reminding us of what we already know and shoring us up. And if ever there's been a time where both here and there is a little shaky, it's right now in our life. Whether you're talking about our personal lives, how is my home responding to the world? How is the country responding to the world? How is the world responding to the world? 
All of these things are in flux and nobody has the answer. Well, except for one. And I want to remind us that we have got to be people of the word. I'm afraid we don't, we don't seek, we're not seeking a, a, a new word. And I'm not talking about fresh revelation. I'm talking about what does God's word say to our day. And he does speak to our day. And we should seek it. We have, the complete, we have the completed word of God. But there's so much that competes for our time. Even now, do you remember not long ago, we were sitting in our living rooms as families reading God's word and praying together and having devotions together and having time where we were talking about the Lord. And, and not much has changed since then according to restrictions, but somewhere or another, we're too distracted and too busy to do that anymore. Have you noticed that? News, social media, sports, travel. I wonder how much more news we're taking in than we're taking in God's word. I wonder how much we're scrolling on Facebook or Parlor or whichever one you've moved to by now. I wonder how much more time we're spending there than we are in God's word. And we're wondering why we're misinformed and we're so shaky because these things will not illuminate our steps and they will not guide our direction. I'm not out crying and decrying those. I'm saying that we're, we're feeding on the wrong frenzy. And it's creating, for the people of God who have the word of God and the answer from God, we're failing miserably. Miserably. It's the word of God that builds us up, that gives us a tethering. It gives us the filter for the world. It it, it provides for us the foundation. It, It helps us to know how to pray. And I know how many of us have tried to pray in the last few months and say, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I don't know how to pray. It's the word of God who helps us to know how to pray, how to discern God's will and how to know his word to us. You know, a lot of, and I've not talked about this much, uh, certainly recently, but in, in the original language, there's two words for word of God. There's the logos word, which is the, the more uh, objective term, which is God's word to mankind, his written word that is true for all of us. And then there's God's rhema word, which means his specific word to you. Now, in, in my understanding, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That, that word, now listen to me closely, church. You, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. Faith, if you want to have your faith to be strengthened and set firm, faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God, but not just sitting in church. That's not what it's talking about. Or, or hearing, I'm going to date myself, Alexander Scurby read the King James to you from an audio cassette. That's not where faith is built from. Faith doesn't come from hearing Blaine read scripture or hearing your Sunday school teacher read scripture or, or even sitting down and reading it yourself. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. That word is the rhema word of God, which is the specific word of God for you. It's the written word of God that you've prayed over, marinated through, meditated through. You've chewed on it. You've wrestled with it. And now I know what I need to do. That's where faith is built. And right in the middle of logos and rhema is prayer. Because of what God's word says to us all, I'm going to pray about that. And we're not praying selfish prayers. Your prayers won't be heard if they're selfish, if they're based on your own pleasure and, and you're wanting to know, you know, how, how can you have this and have that and, and, and have peace and comfort and security and all of that. That's not how prayer works. Prayer works by knowing what God said and then processing it in the spirit. And when you begin to process it in the spirit, the Holy Spirit will take the written word, the active word, and he will, in, uh, he will add to it the power so that you can know what you must do in these days. And I'm telling you, when the rhema word of God hits, you will have faith. And when you have faith, you will have confidence and power and be able to walk in the strength of the Lord. And it is the strength of the Lord not our own strength. That's why you're not satisfied by your daily prayer, your daily reading time. It's because we're just reading words, but we're not spending time with the Lord. We're learning more about him. We're not learning more with him, of him. That's where our, that's where our, ability, that's where our ability to live is. 
is in the rhema word, is in our faith being built and encouraging ourselves in the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we, we, we call for the word of God, and when we hear the word of God, then we know what, then we know what to do. Well, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. I uh, am going to go through this really, really quickly. Uh, really, I mean, I'm going to try to, I should say. But uh, Asa, we're going to talk about King Asa. <clears throat> Asa is sometimes one of my favorite kings. He reigned in Jerusalem for 41 years. And uh, we can best understand uh, Asa and what God, God's purpose for Asa by looking at three chapters. And so we're going to look at that, but, but really, really from a you know, 40,000 feet, feet uh, survey. The story of Asa is in three consecutive chapters of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16. And that's all we know. So 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 16, uh, Asa <clears throat> advances to the throne of Judah. His father, King Abijah, dies and he becomes the king. For 10 years, everything went well. Now, I don't know if that's because of Asa or not, or maybe he inherited that. We're not altogether sure, but this young man, who is now the king, confronted no enemies, he fought no wars, and he did, as the scripture says, he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed all of the foreign altars, he removed all of the high places. Verses 2 and 3 says he smashed the sacred stones and he cut down all the Asherah poles. Now, these poles were from the Canaanite gods that were like fertility poles that, that really the Israelites kept. They just kept these things in archaeology. They're everywhere over there. Proof that they existed and proof that they were cut down over and over. Israel could not get over the fact that they believed these poles would give them uh, uh, more numbers, more power, more protection. And so they kept raising them back up. But Asa cut them all down. He destroyed the idols. And he, uh, he really did seek to, to cleanse the land of any idolatry and, and for the explicit fact that he wanted to bring revival back to, to Judah. Now, this nation is very blessed when it has a godly leader. Like every nation that has godly leaders are blessed. They understand the moral baseline of right and wrong as it's revealed in what we believe to be the Judeo-Christian principles of Scripture. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It seems like in America that heritage seems nearly gone now. Not just in leadership, but across the board when you think about, you know, this country being in God we trust, I highly doubt it. There is such division, there is such hate, and I'm not looking at unbelievers, I'm looking squarely in the eyes of the church today. The world ought to be taking its cues from the church, but instead, it can't, because we act just like they do. Such hostility even from God's people, to those that we're called to love and to pray for. Now listen, do we only love people and serve people and minister to people when the way is open and it's clearly paved for us? Or do we, does God expect us to carve out new territory and find ways to love people that don't seem to want love? When I think about what God does in Israel and he sends them out as slaves and he tells them everywhere you go, you're going to encounter problems and you're going to fight wars and battles. But I want you to remind people that I love them. Do you think it was easy when God told Jonah to go into the Assyrians and to preach the gospel to them, to repent to them? Listen, the church hasn't always had an easy way into the purpose and the will of God. Why would we expect to, to have one now? So, do we pray? Is our prayer life built so that we can be the majority, so that we can have the power and the dominion? Or do we pray for our enemies and do we lay down our lives for the least of these? In America, we're having to relearn all of these things. But listen, we, and I want you to hear me very closely, and I want you to hear my heart. I am not angry, but I am I'm set, and I'm getting my heart right too. We were never, ever going to become more Christian by the leadership of a president. That's not how it works. And if we have the most evil regime that the world has ever known, that leader cannot keep us from being Christian. 
Our Christian faith and obedience have always been squarely on our shoulders as individuals, not legislated. It's not in our constitution. It's in our hearts. Leadership may give us favor, but God is the one who gives us refreshment. And if the government can take your refreshment away from you, it was never God that you were seeking to begin with. We cannot forfeit our ability to be light because of our own rights. If we are willing to do this, then we've been building the wrong kingdom all along. With such frustration and fervor coming from every side, we may hear, well, how can you say that we should be hopeful? It seems like the church is losing on every side. Well, listen, the church isn't. The church isn't losing. The church isn't losing on any side. Not the church. Now, what we've, for what we've settled for as being church may lose, but the church isn't. Now, if we measure our progress by the standards of success of this world, then, yeah, maybe we're losing territory. But if we measure through spiritual lenses, the answer has to be optimism. In fact, real optimism. I think we're about to forget a couple of things. Number one, God is sovereign. God does not bow, nor does he have to bow to American presidents or world dictators or terrorists. Number two, this is his church. This doesn't belong to our government. This doesn't belong to a man. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. And that word will doesn't imply the future. It is a word that means at any given point, he is in the process of building, has built, will build, constantly is putting together exactly what he wants his church to be. Right now, God has a plan for his church. And and by the way, the church is growing in animosity to the very people he called us to exist for. We need to repent. You know, a few months ago, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. You know what? We prayed that a lot, didn't we? But we didn't turn because the way we're acting today is proof that the church didn't turn from their wicked ways. But I want you to notice something that's often hidden. He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's telling, isn't it? What that tells me is that Jesus expects the church. Listen to me. This is important. The church is on the offensive. The church is on the offensive. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, which means that the church is standing against and taking back territory against the very gates of hell, and the gates of hell can't stand against the church. We're on the offensive. The gate belongs to hell. And why in the world is the church acting like we're on the defensive? Like something's being taken away from us. We're on the offensive. We win. What are we afraid of? I think it's Satan's greatest distraction that he's ever given the church, actually, to make the church act like it's on the defensive. Our goal was never to set up a Christian empire here. It's distracting. It's to bring his kingdom here through our loves and our lives. To reach lost people, to care, to serve, to sacrifice, to make disciples, to help people find and follow Jesus. We care more about who will be our next president. I want you to think about that. More than we care about the next person to which we get to share our faith. God help us. We've been living in the wrong world, folks. And what God is doing in these days is proving that to the church. We're living, we're living in the wrong direction. I think he's given us an opportunity to see how to, out of focus we really were. Now, here, here's the good news. All of this is redeemable. If we, and I don't mean to use this illustration, but if we play our cards right, we're the ones with the options at the end of this. We're the ones who are going to have opportunity because every time throughout history, you can go back to Scripture and you can go from Revelation on. And I'm telling you, every time God does something like he's doing right now around the world, there is a fresh revival that sweeps across the world. Every time. 
If we eliminate our voice now, we will not have that voice when God moves. He is moving. He will move. We need to wait, trust on his presence, wait on him. And while we wait, we occupy. We be faithful. We love. We listen. We pray. We grow. We've got to learn how to stay focused on Jesus instead of drawing lines and wrestling with flesh and blood. God is sovereign and God is at work. What's he doing? Well, and I mean this with all candor and frankness, you have to, you have to spend time in the Word of God. I mean, that's, that's, that's all that matters. And you, you spend time in the Word of God. You learn what God wants you to do. You begin to do it. Do it. And your faith will begin to increase. And you can begin to see over the troubles of the world. And help other people see that too. I want to tell you, again, in frankness, it's, I've read the end of the book. I know that's a cliched statement. But it gets worse than this. If we bow down right now, we sure ain't going to stand then. It gets worse. But Scripture says his mercies are new. I'll tell you what, we're going to play a game. Whenever I point at you, you just say daily. All right? Can we play that? I know you guys don't like to play games. but His mercies are new. I'm good. All right, you guys are good learners. When does God give manna? All right, that's good. If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Yeah, you got it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, the same shall find it, right? Give us this day our... Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who bears us up. Daily bears us up. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. Listen to this. The churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers. Do you notice how it doesn't say from week to week? Because it was in your offices, in your neighborhoods, in your friend groups. So Second Chronicles is really a great manual on revival. And I do believe that America can still experience a revival. And I think revival actually could begin in our church. But let me tell you something. Revival will only come from the church through the Spirit, not from a government. Revival comes from God, not a politician. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse, uh, verse 4 so in promoting revival in his own days, Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. And he removed the high places. We've already read all of this, but no one was at war with him in verse 6 because the Lord gave him rest. For the first 10 years, Asa had it made. But troubles come sooner or later. You know, you don't learn lessons when you're on the mountaintop. You learn all your lessons in the valley, right? But then what happens is, after 10 years where Asa could have been preparing, Asa finds out that there are a million soldiers coming up to him from Ethiopia. And they have 300 chariots. This is a decimating army. And they've thrown down the gauntlet and they're threatening Judah. <clears throat> And uh, Asa had a large army. In fact, if I remember correctly, Asa had about 580,000 men. But now, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not great at math, uh, but 580,000 is still less than a million. And so, you know, almost two to one, Asa is outmatched. And uh, these are moments that demand strength and trust in the Lord, and you'd, you'd better already be prepared before you get there. Now, most people would have collapsed, but here's what, here's what Asa does in verse 11. Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, listen to what, his, what, he pray, what he prays. There is none like you to help the powerless against the mighty. And by the way, he knew he had 580,000 men. He was not powerless. But compared to the Lord's care, there is none like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. Man, 
Isn't that powerful? Mere mortals. The Lord responded to the king's prayer and to his faith. And against every odd, Judah wins. In fact, this army turns tail and runs away. Judah chases after them, kills every one of them. You can read that at the finishing of the chapter there, 14. But listen, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be the prayer of the king. Because in, uh, was it Revelation chapter 1 verse 6? And then in chapter 5, it calls us kings. We are kings and priests unto the Lord. So now that we have the Spirit of God in us, and we have become one in Christ, we too have been called kings. So guess what? Whenever we pray, it's the prayer of a king. Because the king dwells in us. Second chapter of Ace's life is in Second Chronicles 15. After this resounding victory, I mean, it, you know, Judah is rejoicing. There was a prophet that came to him. And uh, the prophet's name is Azariah. Azariah comes and, uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's just read it. Verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me. Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, these are the two tribes that made up Judah. The Lord is with you when you are with him. You hear that? The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was out the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him and was found by them. And in those days, it was not safe to travel about. For all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil, one nation being crushed by another, one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong, do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. And Asa just takes that word in and he just literally marinates in it. He embraces that message as if it were God himself giving him this word and giving it to his people. And verse 8 says that on hearing this sermon from prophet Azariah, the king took courage. I don't, you know, he took courage because he probably needed it after the fatigue of the battle and the grip that he had had during this siege, there's no doubt that he was encouraged knowing that he had done what the Lord had called him to do. He also convened a great assembly in Jerusalem. He summoned all the people from every corner in uh, the kingdom. And Asa led his nation in renewing their covenant to God. And what had happened in this short period of time, for those 10 years, he got rid of all the idolatry. But what had happened when they went out after these battles is they had begun to amass some of those back. There were different family members who had built altars to pagan gods and they had these Asherah poles back in their tents and all of these sorts of things. And what Asa does is he goes back in after this wonderful celebrated victory and he cleans house again. He gets rid of all the Asherah poles. He gets all of the pagan uh, idols out and he tears down all of the uh, all of the pagan altar in fact the end of the chapter tells us that that his uh, his grandmother uh, she I mean she's the queen mother right? his grandmother he deposed her out of the country because she wouldn't get rid of her idols kicked her out of the country sorry grandma gots to go that brings us to chapter the third chapter chapter 16 we're almost done Where, where the first two stories kind of go back to back, what happens when we get to chapter 16 is there's 25 years into the future. We don't know much. Well, we don't know anything, really, from Second Chronicles about what happened in these silent 25 years. It picks up the story in Asa's later days. This is his 35th reign, and, uh, and, and he's a changed man. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a different man. His, disciple, his uh, disciples, his disciplines have eroded. His spirituality has corroded and crumbled. He's no longer listening to the preaching of the prophets. He no longer trusts God with any crises in his life. He needs a personal revival, but he's, 
he's grown disinterested or I don't know, maybe he thinks he's better than or he's gotten there by his own power by now. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But according to Second Chronicles chapter 16, the 35th year of his reign, Asa faced another threat. This time from the northern side, northern flanks. But rather than relying on the guidance that comes from the Lord, he doesn't turn to the prophet. He doesn't turn to the word. He doesn't turn to the rhema word. What does God want me to do? Boy, he turns, he turns to pagan Syria. And he goes into the temple. I want you to get this. He goes into the temple of God. And he takes out all of the silver and all of the golden utensils. He takes out all of those instruments, all of the sacred things. And he takes them to the king of Syria. And he says, will you be on our side? Will you help us win? And Syria said, you betcha. And they take all of God's precious things. Instead of calling upon the Lord himself. Asa didn't pray. Asa didn't seek the Lord. He didn't call his people to repentance. He didn't proclaim a day of fasting and prayer. He got caught up in politics. Forming his own alliances. Who's he going to be loyal to? He used sacred things to induce the Syrian government to come to his defense. And that's when another prophet showed up. A prophet that uh, doesn't, doesn't get much fame. Look at, it says in, verse six, in uh, chapter 16, Because you relied on the king of Aram, which is Syria, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army? with great numbers of chariots and horsemen, yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. That's verse 7 and 8. But then in verse 9, look at what he says. That brings us to the key verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now listen, this is a wonderful moment to recalibrate, to think again, and to move into power. And for Asa to say, I need to strengthen myself in the Lord my God. I need to come to myself like the prodigal son. I need this moment where it's like, how did I get to, like a Samson, how did I get to this place? But you know what Asa does? He gets angry. He gets angry. At the same time, he brutally oppressed some of his people, the people that were most loyal to the Lord. There were people that were on Hanani's side. He put the prophet Hanani in stocks. He punished him because he brought the word of the Lord. One of those guys that says, you know, don't confuse me with the truth. Don't confuse me with the facts. I already know what I'm going to do. Verse 12 says, it tells us that Asa, in the 39th year of his reign, this is four years after Asa's treaty with Syria, Asa was afflicted with the disease in his feet. It's interesting though, isn't it? That you think that this man who at one time knew what the Lord wanted him to do here and there, a man who knew that the word of God was a lamp to his feet and a light to where his feet would walk, ends up with diseased feet. I don't know if that's intentional or not. One way or another... Asa lost his footing. (laughs) Sorry, it's too easy. Thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with the disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, 
Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then, in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died. I I don't really know how to explain it. How can a man get it, bring it, deliver it, trust God in times of crisis in his life, lead others to them, and then late in his life mess up so completely he turns away from the Lord and ends as a complete failure? I don't understand it, but I know it can happen. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen numerous times because we rest on our own laurels or we get intoxicated with our own strength and our own power and our own authority and our own control and our own rights that we forget the whole reason we exist to begin with. Even Paul, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he, he, he says that he worked daily to keep his body under discipline so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Folks, we need to be concerned about disqualifying ourselves. This was the very thing that Hanani, when he spoke the words, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen, to strengthen. That word means to to fortify, to build up. That the Lord will do the strengthening, the refreshing, the sustaining to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they, this is the first church, devoted, were fully committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You see that? They were committed to two things. They were committed to God's word, and they were committed to God's people. And as a result of those two devotions... There was all in every soul. Signs and wonders were done. They experienced unity that the world had never seen before. They experienced a generosity that the world could not replicate. They had glad and generous hearts when they were together. And in the midst of the, mo- the worst circumstances, they were praising God. And that praising God gave them favor with all the people. And as a result of all of those things, the addition were they were seeing new souls come into the kingdom day by day. Not week by week. Day by day. I think that's what God is trying to establish in our days is a daily ministry. As we allow the word of God to minister to us and we don't look to anything else to be sustaining to us except for the very presence of God himself that we spend time in the word of God. We meditate, we pray, we use prayer as a pivot point so that we could determine which way does God want us to go? What does he want us to say? Who does he want us to engage? Where are we supposed to go? How am I supposed to bring grace and mercy and truth and forgiveness into the lives of people? How is this supposed to work? The word of God, prayer, and the word of God builds our faith. And that faith creates a devotion to him. That devotion gives us his favor and his strengthening for every day, just like an asher. When Asher, the, the, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, when he gives the blessings out, he tells Asher, which by the way means very blessed. When Moses blesses the tribe of Asher, he says most blessed, most happy. The happiest of all the tribes is Asher. He said, your strength will match your days. As many days as you have, there'll be sufficient strength for you. And that what we want when we're baptized into Christ is to be able to have the strength that we need for every day. And this is how God says we must have it. How can we avoid Asa's mistake? Well, honestly, I think we do exactly the opposite of what Asa does. What Asa had done is he took, and here's what I would just say to us quickly. I'm going to give you three things and you can write them down. But, but honestly, you should be able to remember them pretty, pretty easily. We should take every situation in life as an opportunity to rededicate our lives back to the Lord. Now listen, I know that you're a Christian. You said yes to Jesus. You have experienced the Holy Spirit. I know all of those things. And that's something that we do once. We don't have to keep redoing that. But once you do it, here's a very important thing. We see this over and over in Scripture. When God does a thing, they establish a monument, an Ebenezer. 
a stone, whether it's 12 stones or a stone or an altar here or a well there, I want to remember that at this point, up till now, by the way, this is what that word means, Ebenezer, up till now, God has been faithful to me. And instead of saying, I remember when I was 10, I remember something that happened 20 years ago. I remember whenever we're in crisis, we should be able to say, right here is a reminder of what God did yesterday in my life. It could be a journal. It could be a notebook. It could be notes in your Bible. It can be a framed art in your house. It can be scripture carved on your wall. But there should be ongoing markers in my life that I don't have to think back very far to remember God's faithfulness. And that's what Asa did early on. And he forgot to do. And it caused him to forget the Lord altogether. We should have constant memories of God's faithfulness and what God has done in our life. You know, when we testify, we don't, we don't just tell people about the time we got saved. We can tell people about the thing that God did in our life yesterday. And we keep that fresh in our mind, what God is doing, what God is doing. And as we focus on that, we won't lose sight on what God is doing in the present. Because God was faithful in this moment, I know he'll be faithful in this one, but I can't see it. But I am firmly planted on his word of truth. Up till now. At some point, Asa forgot about it. Now, I want you to notice that Asa is the king of Israel. His commitment level, and this, this stings a little, his commitment level was no less today than it was 35 years ago. He is the king of God's people. He takes it seriously. I don't want to lose. But his commitment level, we're not talking about commitment level. We're talking about what we're committed to. Right? This is incredibly important. Some people have been committed to church. And when the church was shaken... Some people are committed to each other. And when we can't be together. But when you're committed to Jesus Christ. And he is the thing that you're drawing strength from. He's immovable. He doesn't move. He is faithful. And nothing can shake our faith. When our faith is firmly in him. We need to check. We need to check what we're committed to. Commitment is not the issue. Who we're committed to. Who we allow to strengthen us is the issue. We also have to keep listening to sound teaching. That's what happened with the early church. They were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, not just any doctrine, but the people who spent time with Jesus. We want to hear what they have to say. Asa, early on, had listened to Azariah. Later in his life, he would not listen to Hanani. He had, he'd, I don't know if it, uh, at what point, but you look at verse 8 of chapter 15, and it says, as soon as he heard from the prophet, he did exactly what the Lord said. But in chapter 16, as soon as the prophet spoke, he put him in stocks and locked him up. Became angry in verse 10. Somehow, somewhere, Asa drifted away from that daily study of Scripture. I don't know what it was. Something happened in his life. I don't, I don't know. How would we know? But Asa allowed something to rob him of finishing well. Politics, health, power, influence, narcissism, I don't know, something. But it affected how he truly viewed God, which affected how he truly viewed himself, how he viewed God's word, and how he viewed God's people. And the third thing that I want us to remind ourselves of is First, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Remind ourselves of why we exist. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, in order to strengthen those whose hearts are blameless. That word is shalom. Shalom, which means peace. It's a derivative of shalom, but it's, it means full, whole, complete, devoted. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strengthen, refreshment, those whose heart is fully devoted to him. And in these days of stress and strain, we need strength of body, strength of mind, strength of soul, and strength of spirit. We need to find our identity in Jesus Christ. And that's where we find purpose, meaning, personal identity, and strength. Asa had a long, defining 
reign punctuated by two messy situations. One resulted in revival for the nation. One resulted in his own personal ruin. And when we're spiritually anemic, we're too, too weak in every other area of our life. So we need to turn to his word. We need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time in his presence so that we can have access to the rhema word of God and know what God's specific word is for me today. And by the way, we need that every day. I'm not talking about some kind of another language or some kind of you know revelation where God gives us something that he hasn't given anybody else. I'm talking about a light into my feet, a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I'm talking about knowing to walk in power and confidence into every relationship and every conversation. To be able to have strength in these days instead of wringing our hands and wiping our heads saying, I don't know, I'm nervous. God's people ought to walk in power and strength and in refreshment. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer or my saving. He's not talking about salvation like we think. but For I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What Jesus does to those that are fully devoted upon him is to give them all. In fact, the word supply there means more than you could ever use more than you would know what to do with. And Paul says, is when you're leaning into Jesus, you will have more of the Spirit than you need. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, this morning. There's not a substitute to this map. There's not another way. You can commiserate. You can grumble and complain. You can outcry. You can storm Capitol buildings. It will not create peace. It will not create strengthening. It will, it will add to our absolute destruction. The people of God need to be firmly rooted in the word of God and to know what the world needs to do in days like this. And that's where we'll find strength when we're fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And he will go to and fro to make sure that the spirit in you is fully active and able in abundance. I'd like for us to take just a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. So if you would just stay seated where you're at and close your eyes and bow your heads. I want us to do something. And um, I'm trying my best to, to map out how to do this with regularity. So be patient with that. But I like, you know, I really believe that just about, well, I don't just, just about. Every revival begins with a personal revival. There's never been a moment where God does something fresh that he only does at one person and, and limits, there, limits it there. So what I want to do is I want to encourage us to, to ask the Lord to forgive us for our inactivity, to forgive us for our arrogance, to forgive us even in our commitment of forgetting why we exist. Even, even in our strong serving God's things, we're not serving with Him. Call His name, but He's not in the argument. So I just want us to ask the Lord to forgive us. And you may know exactly where that is for you, and you may not. You may just have to seek the Lord. But I want us to pray. And if you're, if you're comfortable getting on your knees, I want to encourage you to get, let's get on our knees and, and ask the Lord. If that's something that you can't do, I certainly understand that too. But I want us to take this time seriously and just personally seek the Lord and ask Him to reveal to us areas in our life where we are not seeking Him first, where we are not fully devoted to Him. That's where you're going to find all of the strength being sucked right out of your life. And then I want you to pray for our church. Don't, don't move yet. Then I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray that our church would experience unity and that that unity would create a generosity that would create favor with all the people and that this year we would see souls come to know Jesus Christ 
day by day. And that's going to mean us doing some things differently as individuals. That's going to mean that our focus has got to shift just a little bit. If you're going to pray for our church to be effective in evangelism, then you're going to have to pray for yourself to have confidence and boldness to move with strengthening. I want you to pray for our country. We should pray for our country. It matters. As goes our country, so it will be with us. So we want to pray for that. But I also want us to pray for the nations. Pray that our church would stay committed to reaching lost people around the world. And I want you to pray through those things. And I want you to hear from the Lord. And you may not hear from Him in this moment. But I want you to continue to be a people of prayer. Pray, pray through this every day. And, and when you hear from the Lord about what He wants you to do regarding any of these things, I want you to create an Ebenezer, some kind of a mark that says, Up till now, God has shown me His favor, His faithfulness. And once you're done praying today, you can be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your people. And I pray your favor to be upon us. Lord, I'm excited about our future. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I sense that you're doing something that we've never been exposed to before. And I pray that, unlike Asa, we won't get in the way of what you want to do. Strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen us for a purpose. Don't just strengthen us. Strengthen us so that we may strengthen. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.